0: Well, good morning again, guys. My name is uh, Sean Myers. I'm the teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. If you're new, you don't know a lot about Redemption Peoria. We're one church, 10 different congregations. Uh, We'll say that a lot. What we mean by that is... We're not doing any type of satelliting. We really believe that a ch- where a church is is really going to look like its context and therefore should be led differently. And because of that, um, we are elder-led and lead pastor-led at each one of our congregations. Um, if you have questions about that, or to be honest with you, you've been coming for a few times now, or this is your first time, I'm going to be in the lobby afterwards. Please come up and say hi. Um, at least come up and we, we, can, we can meet each other for the first time. Um, real, really quickly, here, here's what you need to know. I don't have any announcements besides to say this because we say it every single week. This gathering is awesome, and I love just listening. Um, If nothing else, uh, our voices singing together and us getting to read the text together and learn together. But the reality is this is one part of what we do. We really believe that we are a church, uh, not just that has communities or does communities, but we are made up of communities. And so those communities are spread out all throughout the West Valley. Now, um, if you really want to be a part of being on mission and what we're doing, um, uh, finding really rhythms of Bible studies and discipleship, all that's going to take place in community, okay? So we've decided to keep things really, really simple. We don't do any type of other ministry, anything like that. Everything we do flows through our community. So if you want to, you can text the word CONNECT to 623-850-4690. It'll be a digital CONNECT card. That's a pushback. We don't track those numbers or anything like that. Um, Or there's, you know, pieces of paper here on the side. Or you can see somebody in the lobby, Okay? Um, so that's honestly all I have for announcements. Right now, we're in the book of Psalms. If you don't know, at Redemption Church, we really feel like the best way to understand the Bible is to go through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so uh, we've taken over the summer 10 weeks to, to pick uh, 10 different Psalms, and we're going to be going through um, all those together. So I know you just got comfortable, and, and I, well, I don't hate to ask you this. I'll be standing the whole time. So you can stand up now. Um, we're going to read God's word together just to honor it. If you're wondering why we do that, we really feel like as much as I can say or as much as the band can lead us in worship the reality is the power our faith comes from the word of god according to romans 10:14 and so we're going to read uh, god's word now together
1: good morning friends this teaching text this morning is from psalm 51 have mercy on me o god according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Thanks, Faith. So if you already haven't done so, uh, we're going to jump right in. You can open up to Psalm 51. Uh, Uh, here's uh, what I want to say as we open up to Psalm 51. There's a couple things I want to go through, but just so you know, we have about four weeks left after this to go through the book of Psalms. Uh, um, I really encourage you to make sure you are here next week. A guy named Josh Prather, who works for Big R Redemption, all the churches, he helps connect the churches to community focused uh, activities going on and global things that are going on uh, uh, to do different types of mission work and all of that. He's going to be here walking us through a psalm, and then uh, John Demeter and Jim Ellis will walk us through. They're two elders here, and then I will come and finish us off with the book of Psalm, and then in the fall. We're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus gave in the book of Matthew. So we're excited to do that. Here we go. Psalm 51. Um, if, you're looking at the, the, uh, if you're looking at an app, it's going to be harder to do this. But if you're looking at um, a Bible, which doesn't require battery, verses 1 through 12 um, is going to be this where we're going to sit. We're going to go through this section, okay? And then um, we're going to talk about verses 13 through 15, then 16 through 17, and then 18 and 19 um, as we kind of get to the end. But we're going to really hammer home those first things. Now, before we do that, um, we need to read the heading. And we've been trying to read these headings as we open up in these psalms because they provide direction. And this psalm specifically is one of the few, few psalms in the Bible that gives us a kind of historical pinpoint a time that we know when this was written and why it was written. And so it requires that I tell a little bit of that story. This is what it says, if you notice in your, your Bibles at the beginning of Psalm 51, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, him being David, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Okay, So this is going to be some rated R stuff. Let, let's go at it. Um, uh, uh, David, if you don't know who he is, the dude who kills Goliath, right? He starts off as a shepherd boy, um, really following God, known as a, a man after God's own heart. Uh, eventually he's called to be king. The thing is, the guy who's the king at the time, a dude named Saul doesn't want him to be king, and so really does a lot of pushback, throws air, uh, spears, Adam tries to kill him, makes him hide in caves, but eventually David does rise to power. Now, when he rises to power, he gets all that comes, comes with it, right? He not just gets the power but the control he gets the, the money, he gets the animals, he gets the house, he gets it all and so one day he 's sitting on his house, and something happens. This is the story that takes place in Sam second uh, Samuel chapter eleven. Let me read verses two through five. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king 's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittites? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Uh, then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay, let me break down the story. David now has all this power as king, a man after God's own heart, acts honestly like a terrible human being in this moment. He is standing on his roof as he looks down across all of the city below him, and he sees a woman, and he calls her beautiful. Let's be straight. He's not looking at her going, she really has good-looking eyes, okay? There's, there's something about her right? There might be kids in the room, so I got to be careful, but I'm just saying he likes what he sees. And in seeing, in seeing all this, he goes, hey, who is that? One of the servants comes up. Well, you know what? That's the wife of Uriah. Okay, cool. Why don't you tell her to come to me? So, so, so she comes. Uriah's is not there because Uriah's off at battle. So when she comes to him, she, he sleeps with her. Eventually she goes away to David. It was a one night stand, but she's not done because she goes back to him and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Now, um, David, like in acting in sin, anybody who would act in sin in this moment immediately wants to remove what has taken place. And so again, a terrible human being does something that, um, uh, ends up becoming memorable biblically. This is what happens. He then says, okay, I've got to get rid of this whole thing. This is bad. She's pregnant. She's not my wife. Here's what I'm going to do. So he calls Uriah from battle. Uriah, kind of this warrior comes in, says, dude, welcome home, why don't you stay here, relax for a little bit. Now David's hope is that he will go home and sleep with his wife. And then when he goes back to battle, he hears that his wife's pregnant, oh, it's my child. Unfortunately for David, Uriah's a better man than he is and doesn't sleep with his wife because he recognizes something. He looks at David and says, here's the deal, it's not fair that I am here in this castle, I am here amongst our people and I get to do what I want while all of our men are fighting for the Lord out there. That's not right. So not only does Uriah not uh, sit there and, and, and jucks it up and go home, he ends up sleeping by the castle door. He ends up staying there says, I'm not going anywhere. Give me the order when I can come back. David says, uh, well, just give it a couple days. He takes a couple days. Every night, Uriah sleeps by the castle door, ready to have orders to go back into war. David's like, this is not good, as he continues to try to cover up his sin. So he comes up with a plan says, Uriah, come to me. I want you to take this message. Don't open it. Go back to battle. Thank you for coming. Go. In this message, Uriah hands to the commander-in-chief. Commander-in-chief opens it up. Uriah doesn't know, but he says, put Uriah on the front lines. Put him where the bloodbath is, okay? So he puts him there, puts him in the bloodbath, and exactly what David had hoped would happen, that he would be killed. That's what happens. Uh, Uriah then is, is killed in battle, okay? And this is where we pick up the story at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son, a terrible human being. So here David not only kills Uriah, sleeps with someone not his wife, but steals the dude's wife. Like all you married homies in the room, think about David doing that to you, right? Like you want to punch him in his face, this is the guy after God's own heart. This is the guy who slayed Goliath. So here's what happens uh, from this moment. Uh, uh, we continue to read this story in the very end of, of second Samuel 11, the last verse, it says this, according to this whole story what had taken place, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Duh. Okay. So, so here we see God's not happy. What with what has taken place now? If you don't know how Israel works at the time, um, there's kind of different types of legislation. So uh, David is king. But there are also priests. Now, David, um, as a king, the king would take care of all the semantical, detail-oriented stuff. The priests are the people who would go to God on behalf of man and come back to man on behalf of God. And then there are the prophets. So the third part of this are the people who would speak, who would preach, who would proclaim to the people all the oracles of God. So there are three types of systems. Well, one of the prophets, um, the prophet at the time, Nathan, comes to David and he says, David, okay, God's revealed something to me. I need, I, need to, I need to lay this out in front of you, okay? So here's the deal. Um, there's this rich man. He's got like a thousand lambs. He's got all these lambs, super wealthy, has it going on. And then there's this poor man who has one lamb. And he raised this one lamb since childbirth. And as he raised this lamb, he loves this lamb. Matter of fact, he even lets this lamb sleep in the house with him. All of his family loves this lamb. He cares desperately about this one lamb. Well, there's this stranger who came into town. And as the stranger came into town, he needed a place to stay and he needed food to eat. The rich man didn't want to give up any of his lambs. So he stole the, the poor man's one lamb and gave it to the stranger so he can have something to eat. David hears this story and says, and I quote, and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan, like a boss, looks at David and says this, you are the man. You are that man. David walks away, probably skirmers away. What's that? Okay, And he goes and writes Psalm 51 in response to what he's doing. This psalm is is filled with laments. It's filled with regrets. It's filled with mourning. It's filled with what have I done? It's filled with what? Am I doing? I've killed a man. I've committed adultery. I've slept with someone else, not my wife. All the while trying to lie. And to be honest with you, when it's all said and done, I didn't even come out and admit it. Somebody called me out on it. What am I doing? David writes Psalm fifty-one. Now, we've got to enter in this story, and we've got to enter it well, because the reality is, the time for Psalm fifty-one to have um, callous, casual. Uh, asking for forgiveness of sins or feeling um, some type of, yeah, I need to repent um, is probably not here. Psalm 51 goes really, really deep. It cuts us at our, at our soul. When I was 23 years old, I was a youth pastor. I had two assistant youth pastors at the time. And um, uh, one of the guys' name was Richie. And we were building a stage, helping build this stage. And um, I was marking the, the wood and I would pass it outside to Richie, who was doing the cuts with a skill saw. Well, we're about midday through, in the second day. And Richie, as I pass in the wood, I'm here working. Richie opens the door and says, Sean, Sean, and he's holding his leg. I go, what's up? He goes, I think I need to go to the hospital. I go, oh my gosh, well, well let me see it. And he begins to um, remove the t shirt that he had over his leg and he took the skill saw and he cut it all the way down his leg, okay? Now there's some nurses in the building, like, okay. And then what? Like, you're a freak, okay? Um, so I'm not kidding. I see it and I go, oh my gosh, you're gonna die, okay? Okay. <laughs> 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 I can see the bone. Now, what's crazy is, is the, the blade was so hot, it seared things so he wasn't bleeding to death, okay? So we get my Chevy Prism and go as fast as we possibly can to the ER. We roll into the ER, and here's what happens. We get there. They put him on the table, okay? And what does not take place is they just put his skin together, and they begin to stitch up, stitch up the skin. No, the cut was so deep... That it had to be operated on on a very, very base level, they had to do three layers of stitches that is stitch where the bone is, middle, and then the skin. and the reality is our casual approach to repenting for our sin would be like us just kind of closing up that, that gap let 's put a butterfly band aid over it and call it a day. The reality is, no bro, there's a gaping wound in your soul. There is something deep that needs to be addressed. And for you just to mask it, you just to cover over it and not to do it the right way is wrong. And David is going to lay out how he uh, repents and how he laments over his sin the right way. With that said, Psalm 51 verse 1 says this. In responding to Nathan, coming to him and responding to what he has done with Bathsheba to Uriah, lying. Have mercy on me, O God according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Now he's going to come out swinging with these requests, but here how it starts here, how it, how it it comes The 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 heart in which it comes from. It does not come from a place of God. I need mercy and I need love. No, 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 I need love. And I need mercy according to your standards. I need love and mercy because I'm going to remember what I did to Uriah for the rest of my life. I'm going to remember the choices I've made for the rest of my life. So I need your mercy. I need things according to your love. And this is something David knows God prides himself in the Old Testament constantly, calling himself a God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy. And so he uses this language, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. So wherever we start with this lament, this repentance conversation, dealing with, With our sin, we have to understand it's according to God. Now, it's important for us, as we continue to read the psalm, to recognize that in the course of this psalm, that that we're not reading it from the perspective of the poor man. We're not reading it from the perspective of uh, 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 Uriah. So so the truth is, um, and maybe you have been hurt like racially profiled, someone did you dirty. Maybe some women in, in this place, like you actually have been raped, almost very like the way the story reads to Bathsheba. Uh, I'm not saying those things aren't real. All I'm saying is immediately what we need to recognize is to this psalm, we're not the affected, we're not uh, the victim. No, no, no. We need to read this psalm from the perspective of, like me, I, I have done more things wrong than just things done wrong to me. I am, the, I am David. I am the rich man. And so immediately in recognizing that, I need grace, I need mercy, I need love, and not according to my standards, but according to God's. Verse 3. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 3 is super helpful for us to understand. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 3 is super helpful for us to understand verse 1. Because the reality is, I do. I know my transgressions. And because I know my transgressions, I need you, like I said, to forgive according to your mercy and your love. But then at the beginning there, in verse 2, he says this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So Richie, when we bring him in, my buddy Richie, let's go back to the cut. What didn't happen was they didn't bring him in and immediately start stitching him up. The cut was super deep. They don't just take a wipey and wipe his leg off. No, it was so deep. They like were squirting this stuff into the wound, right? Um, like, like, like who's it Windex? What are you doing? Okay, so they're squirting the stuff in his leg and they're cleaning the wound before they stitch it up. So before the healing process goes in, David is making this plea. Like, like what happens to Richie in this moment is it needs to be cleansed. It needs to be cleaned out. I need to start from the bone. I need to get this thing cleaned up. And David's plea is, wash me thoroughly. What happened with Uriah, what happened with Bathsheba, it was, was, it was a manifestation of something deep within me. I need your help thoroughly. And he continues on. All verses 1 through 12 are going to be very similar in what he's saying in his pleas Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So this, this action for him to say against you and you alone have I sinned, though in some ways it's true, actually we kind of feel like it's not true, right? Because he sinned against Uriah, he sinned against Bathsheba, I mean, he, he lied honestly to the, to the lands of the people of Israel, but here in his declaration against you and you only have, I sinned. um, I, I think this is important for us to recognize that David is putting in front of us a standard that, that, um, that is different from our standard. So some people might even be able to justify what David did. To be honest with you, David might've been able to justify what David did. Well, her husband was gone. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, she's lonely. What do you expect? But according to God's standards. So um, currently, uh, uh, Candace and I decided to watch Back to the Future with our boys. Um, and uh, so if you don't, first of all, you don't know what Back to the Future is, you need to read Psalm 51 and repent, um, okay? <laughs> but but uh, uh, what's amazing to me about this is my son is eight and, and Titus is six, um, and I look back on these movies as like kind of family fun movies. I don't know if you ever go back and watch these 80 flicks, y'all. You're like, how many times does this dude cuss in this movie, right? You're like, I remember like this, like, yeah, he's going back. And he's like, there's Doc, 1.21 gigawatts, right? And you're like, it's fun. <laughs> he's like dropping like H and Ds, and like, you know, and there's like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. I'm not a good parent. Okay. Um, you're just not. And what's, what's funny. The reason I bring this up is because my standard before, as I look back was way different than my standard is now. Right? So my standards change. And so David is looking at God's standard in this and saying against you and you alone, have I sinned sin in dealing with maybe interaction between myself, you and creation. But the reality is I need to deal with this thing that is affecting, uh, between God and I. And at the end of that, uh, verse 4, um, so much so that he, he honestly appeals to the fact that God would be right if he punished him, right? So he says, um, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. The reality is God would be right in judging him. And, and, and as a matter of fact, he does. Um, if you don't know how the Psalm, uh, or the, the story continues to go, uh, he ends up saying, you're forgiven. But the truth is, what's going to happen is the son that you uh, conceived with, Bathsheba, he's going to die, and this sends David kind of down a, a spiral where he's fasting and he's praying. Um, and so, so God absolutely does forgive, but there are punishment, there are consequences to, to, to the action that he, he took in that moment. And so David comes to him pleading, God, wash me thoroughly against you and you alone have I sinned. You're justified in your judgments though. So he continues to... To say this, verse five, uh, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret um, heart. Side note, this verse is usually used within reformed theology to explain that the question that's always thrown out there, are children uh, born naturally wicked or are they born naturally good? Good or evil, right? And, and um, this has always been used, listen, from my mother's womb, I was born into, um, is, that, is that the Neelys? Neelys, y'all. They just had a baby. Don't try to sneak in here. We saw your beard from the parking lot, Michael. What you doing, bro? Come on. You dirty snake. All right. Where were we? Something about the Bible. Um, okay. So so besides that, here's what I think ultimately what's taking place in verses five and six. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Um, I think in a very poetic way, what David is saying is, I have sin deep within me. I have issues deep down within me, but God, you care about those deep down issues. So it's not something, again, I can just wash over. He's repeating this declaration. I've been born. there's At the genesis of who I am, I've been dealing with sin. And here's what happens. You care about the genesis of where I begin. You care about my core. You, you don't care about me just getting it right and the actions. You care about why. So when we ask our kids, maybe not you, but when, I ask our, when Candace and I ask our kids to clean their room, yes, they clean their room. I mean, yeah, I guess the blanket's over the bed and things are kind of pushed to the side. But if we paid a maid to come in and clean the room, like, good work, but no thank you okay the reality is it's it's clean but it's not clean really clean and david's declaration is I was brought forth in iniquity uh, and in sin. My mother conceived me. So I have deep, deep sinful uh, uh, roots within me. And you care about delight and truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You care about these deep, deep things. So here's what we've kind of got the rhythm so far, right? As David has pleaded over and over and over, God, I-, I need to deal with what's going on inside of me. I need to repent. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your mercy. I need you. I need you to create within me a new heart. And now what he's going to do is he's going to use four things of imagery. Okay? Okay. So he's going to continue the same thing. So track with me. I'm trying to make it as exciting as I can, but he's making the same declaration over, and he's going to use four different um, uh, uh, things of imagery as he does this in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. The first form of Im- imagery is this. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be made clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop is like this sweet-smelling twig bush that um, was very symbolic for priests as they would go into a home, and it smells very like mint-like, and it would fill this aroma in the home, and it was symbolic for the Lord's presence brought by the priests in the Old Testament, and it would cure whether physical or spiritual cancers are in the house, in those people, that God's presence would follow that. And David in this moment is saying, there's no priest that can do this. You've got to do this. You've got to pur- uh, 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 purge me with hyssop. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. So this is the first sense of, of imagery second one is he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Here's the thing about this in verse eight. Um, Only those of you who are Christian in the room, who God has spoken to, to redirect your life from from away from sin are gonna understand what happened. So uh, for Sean Myers personally experiencing sleeping with his girlfriend, which now wife, um, over and over before he's married, every time I would get in this cycle, but what would happen is I would feel crushed. Like it's this, it's like this, God, what am I doing? Like my bones are breaking. I feel crushed. This conviction that you're bringing on me is right because I'm sinning, but I hate it. Why do I continue to do these things? Why do I continue to walk out this path? Why do I continue? Why do I continue? And David's hope, David's prayer, David's ask is, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. God, I've done this. You've broken these bones. You've convicted me. I feel the weight of this. And I'm telling you, the symbolism in all the psalm I relate to most in verse 8, I feel like when I'm deeply convicted by God, my bones are being broken. And in this moment, he's saying, God, save me. Rescue me out of this. Verse 9, more imagery. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquities. Here's the truth. Again, if you are a Christian, you know what it's like once we've sinned. Two things want to happen. One, we hope somehow that we would forget we've done those things and we can move on. And two, that God would forget. We, we come and, God, blot these things out. It's almost like he's saying, just, can we please forget? I did that to Uriah. I did that, but she, I'm going to remember. I don't want to remember that anymore. I don't want to walk in that anymore. I don't want it. Please, God, blot these things out. Let me forget these things. Let them not even be before you, is his plea. More imagery. Beautiful. And then finally, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Verse 10 is probably the most famous of all, of all Psalm 51. What's interesting about this, this word create is the same word that is used in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, bara. It's a word that only God can use. It's a word that only God can do. So we as humans can create things, but it takes things for us to create them, right? So I can, I can make a house, but I need wood, I need nails. God is the only one that can create out of nothing. And that's the Hebrew word bara, and it's used in Genesis. And David knows this fact, and he says, God, create in me, make me Genesis again, restore unto me my sal- your salvation. It's beautiful. So as we kind of wrap this up, as he's made the same plea over and over and over again, if you've lived in repentance, you know that it's not just so, okay, just ask for forgiveness and move on. You feel like this crime, and, and, and we haven't even murdered anyone, right? Like, like to sleep with someone else's, why? I mean, those things have to I mean, take place. And here's David in this deep sin. And finally in verses 11 and 12, we get at the core of everything he's asked up to this point. Why he's asking these things. The plea is this, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and hold me with a willing spirit. God, I don't know what has happened in the midst of all of this, but for the love of your name, don't go from me. So it's interesting because notice the pronouns through this whole psalm. It's not corporate, is it? It's not we, it's not us, it's I. God, here I am. And though um, I recognize that I alone have sinned in all of this and I've sinned against you, the most important thing that I want to make sure we clean the slate with to understand all that I've said up to this point is I cannot be away from you. See, if we would spend less time trying to fight those sins and more time focusing on Jesus, then then I think everything would change. And what David is doing is, is, keeping the attention on God, not how you've gotten it wrong, not what you've done, not why you've done it. But the truth is what he's saying is here, God, I just need to be close to you. I need these things to take place. I need a new clean heart. I need to be away from sin because I need to be close to you. And so as, as he goes from this, from this declaration that I think is, is monumental to change the whole thing, there's a pivot in, the, in, in verse 13, it's the word then, right? Can you see it? So if you're having ESV, you'll see this word then. I would argue um, that this psalm is systematically written. Um, I think it's written very intentionally to show us something. And the first 12 verses are just this lament, this repentance of everything David has done. And, and then I think the best way that I can explain the next three sections is in the form of a question. So the first question I think would be asked in verses uh, 3 through 15 is, how do we know, or rather, what does true repentance look like? Like, if you've slept with someone else's wife, or you have a gambling addiction, or you continue to look at pornography, or you continue to do whatever thing right now God is convicting on your heart, you're continuing to go sleep with her, you're continuing to go sleep with him, whatever it is, I have no idea. You're looking at the things you shouldn't look at. You're doing the things you shouldn't do. Whatever that is, whatever gossip is going on in your life, whatever that is, um, let's start with the premise of when you look to God for forgiveness, you could just put the stitches on the top, couldn't you? You could just play the game. You could just say the right words. You could say verses one through 12. So how do I know, God, I'm I'm, I'm trying to get out my heart? I believe there's two things that will always happen to those who've truly repented. Two things, and they're found in verses 13, 14, 14. And 15, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. I wanna start with the back end. Here's one thing that I believe happens if you're truly repenting, because um, before I explain these things, let me just tell you a stream of Christianity that is flowing within our culture right now that we're not even aware of. It's something called the free grace movement. And the free grace movement is essentially that God is your savior. He has saved you. He has saved you from sin. And though they would not outright say it, there's not a lot of lordship talk. So to say that God has saved you, and and you wouldn't say now you can go off and sin or whatever you want, but you're saved. And so what happens in the free grace movement, and hear me when I say this, when I say it's a stream, it's the largest stream in Christianity right now. Um, and, And this stream that is going on in this free grace movement has, hear me, zero repentance, It does not require a life to look at your sins and go, I'm sorry. Forgive me of these sins. Even though... We're told over and over within the New Testament, for example, in in Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's not one time I was crucified, but I am ultimately always being crucified with Christ. I am constantly being conformed to his image. I am constantly bringing my woes and my sins to him to say, God, please forgive me. I am acting in the way that I am not. I am acting in the way that you have not made me. And so when that happens, when that really happens, when we push against the non-Lordship conversations, two things happen. The first thing, as we see in verses 14 and 15, is we are overwhelmed with worship. We are stupid amounts of grateful. Listen to verses uh, 14 and 15. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. There is worship There's worship like, God, this is where I was. This is what I was doing. This is how I acted. I didn't do anything. I didn't like you just saved me. You, you, you brought me out of that crap and I'm here. I, I don't know why, but you're good. You were good to me. You had mercy to me. I don't know why. I got to tell you how good you are. I got to sing how good you are. I got to pray to your goodness. I got to talk to people about this goodness. The first thing is we will always worship when we're truly repenting. And the second thing is found in verse 13. The first verse, uh, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. I believe those who have truly repented, those who've truly continued to walk in grace, running from those sins will always help others out of that sin. Or out of sin. Period. You know, my dad. Um, he was a meth addict for thirty plus years, and he uh, he's been five years clean now um, from meth. And uh, he really has leaned into the 12 steps. And it's interesting because about two and a half years ago, he was talking to me about the 12 steps. He's super excited. He still works for um, Eros and, and and helps with the 12 steps and all that stuff. But um, they have the big book. And, and the big book is like the 12 steps Bible, okay? And um, so he was using language that, honestly, I didn't feel real comfortable about when talking about God. It was kind of like this... God is who you want him to be. And so I said, forget it. I'm going to read the big book. And so I read the whole book cover to cover through, and I took notes like crazy. And here's what's crazy to me. Um, First of all, I don't know if you know anything about 12 Steps of Big Book, but I will argue to this day, I guarantee you Christians wrote that book because you're reading it. Sometimes I'm going, they just stole that from the Bible. Like that's not original. That's in the Bible. Like half of it, you're going this isn't creative. This, God said that way before they said this. So I guarantee you, but, but here's what they recognize in these 12 steps. As they go through these 12 steps, and I quote, the very last step is this. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, these prior 11 steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics. The idea is I've been an alcoholic, I've gone through this and no more, even though they would continue to call themselves an alcoholic, no more am I addicted to alcohol. And because of this, I can go on, I can continue to be introspective. I can continue to focus on what I've done. I can continue to do that. But no, the reality is I come along other alcoholics and I help them out of alcoholism. That's the Bible, right? I mean, this is, first Peter three, that we would have a defense. This is Jesus calling us fishers of men. This is acts one eight that we're told to go to Samaria, Judah, Jerusalem, and all the ends of the earth. This is the Bible. The reality is to be out of sin is to help others out of sin or, or the buzzword that we would use is we are on mission. God has a mission. So you can continue to say you're stuck. I can't get out of it Yeah, m- Maybe just maybe take your attention off yourself, focus on God, Put all your fervor, all your effort in, in believing and in following him and let all these things continue to take themselves. And as you take steps in that direction, bring someone along with you. What's so great about you and your neighbor is you're no better of a person. I am not trying to make good people with my kids. My hope is not that someone will look at me, that's a good person. That's just not my goal. The, the reality is the only difference is Jesus is in you. That's it. The only difference is you've got Jesus. You're going to both stand before God, and to be honest with you, there's going to be be sin in your life, there's going to be sin in his life, but there's also going to be self-righteousness in your life as well. At least this man doesn't think he's self-righteous for most of the part. So, So you're going to stand here, and the only difference is I got this dude, Jesus says. That's it. And so for us to understand that, to walk alongside somebody, to know that we're not better, that they're going to cuss, they're not going to believe like you, they're going to watch things you would never watch, come alongside them come alongside them. We help them see Jesus is good. Jesus is better. The second thing, the question that I think should be asked is, in the midst of all that is going on, let's say Nathan comes to David and says, David, you're that man. You're the sinner. What would have been the wrong response? In this moment where you're stuck in sin, or I'm stuck in sin, what's the wrong response? And we see it, Luckily in verse 16 and 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So here's the reality. If it is I'm sin, I'm in sin, I'm stuck in sin, I'm sinning. If the answer is I need to man up, if the answer is you want me to read my Bible, I can read my Bible all day long. Give it to me. I'll memorize that beast. You want me to go to church? I'll go to church five times a day. What do you want me to do? If it's righteousness, then give it to me because I can do it. No, no, no. Listen, buddy. Listen, listen. That's not what God is interested in. If it was sacrifices, David would have done it. David could have easily just taken his thousand lambs. Done. I gave them burnt offerings. Done. I, I, I fulfilled what, what should take place. I walked with the priest. Done. no, 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 no. God is not looking for the shedding of blood. God is not looking for you white knuckling, pulling up your bootstraps. No, hear me. God is pleased with a broken spirit before him. God, you and you alone save. You and you alone save. We see this in spades in the Gospels, don't we? The story of Jesus is Jesus comes on, he messes with all the religious leaders, and at one point in Matthew, he calls them out. And here's how he describes these religious leaders. In Matthew 23, 25 through 28, he says this What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you uh, Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers and religious law uh, uh, of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You could, if you want, give the sacrifice. Hey, Brother Joe, how are you? I'm so good. God has been so good this week. Nah, bro, you've been cheating on your wife. It's time to come clean for your good. So as we embrace this, the wrong approach is to take steps in the direction of getting it right before we deal with our heart. Because all we're going to find is religi- religiosity. All we're going to find is you avoid Harry Potter and Pokemon, right? Okay, I say Pokemon because Josh Kavona sent me a video of a guy who says Pokemon's demonic. So um, that's why I say that. Sucks for you guys. Um, I don't play it, but... Um, so, so he, here's what I'm saying. We can do and not do a ton of different things, but that is not what God is interested in. That is not what God is is, is pl- uh, what is what pleases God. All right, our last two verses. It says this. With all that said, um, I would love to ask the question now. After David repents and he laments for what he's done, as Nathan has called him out, and now here he's done. He's. I mean, we almost got sick of it for twelve verses. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David, we get it. No, 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 I'm sorry. Okay, David, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need to work on the inward parts of my heart. I, I, this has been a, a manifestation of deep, I need, I need to be healing here deep within me. I need this to be fixed. Okay, David, now what? Now we've repented. We've gone before God. What is right action? What is the right attitude? What is the right motive? He says this in verse 18 and 19. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Verse 19, look at that word again. Then, we turn on a dime again. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Now, you don't, you don't desire sacrifices. That's not what you're looking for. You want my heart to be fixed. But man, once my heart is fixed... As much as I may have tried to get triple X software to not look at women on rooftops or whatever you want to call it, the reality is once my heart is fixed, now there's action. Now let's talk. Where, Where these two worlds almost look parallel, don't they? The man who comes to church and plays church, he, he does all the, the right things for the wrong reasons. And then you have this other person who's, who's broken, who God has saved truly. And they're almost acting the same exact way. And we can't tell the difference. But here's what we do know. Someone who is truly saved will never act on their own accord against God intentionally. The, the one who's truly saved will fight. The one who's truly saved will go to war against sin. The one who's truly saved knows that the joy is promised by this world. They're lies, man. They're lies. They're lies. They're lies. They're lies. They're lies. They're tricking you. They've brought you in. Look at her. She's beautiful. They've brought you in. No, no, no. No one has to know. Have him killed. They've brought you in. Just keep it on the low. They've brought you in and they've lied to you. Idols will never fail to fail you. They will lie. They will beat you up and they don't care. You know what the beauty of the gospel is? that we start with acceptance. That we start from a place of your mind. And because you're mine, do. Because you're already accepted, love. Because you're already accepted, give. Because you're already accepted, sacrifice. So I fight sin. I avoid movies with nudity in them. Personally, I can't watch movies with a terrible amount of language in them. Besides Back to the Future, there are certain things that I've put in that I said, I cannot do that. I remember very specifically, 19 years old, knowing I had to stop listening to R. Kelly. Worst day of my life. <laughs> I knew. I knew what R. Kelly was doing was, was affecting the way I viewed women. And I don't mean just like, a, like I wanted to sleep, with, I, and it wasn't right. So I fight. I fight, and I hate sin. But I don't do that to be accepted. Because I am accepted, I do that. You've got to understand the order here, because if we get it twisted, we're going to be lost. And that's the order David lays it out. That's what's put in front of us. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which I think, by the way, marriage is a perfect symbol of this, right? No one goes to the altar and goes, okay, um, to show you that I love you, I, I'm, just, I'm going to give everything. And maybe at the end of your life, you'll know that I love you. No, we make a declaration of our love. And from that moment on, we continue to fulfill that vow. Because we love, I get my butt up and do the dishes because I love, not to earn my wife's love. It says this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your word. Something that a man could have penned thousands of years ago. And you read it. We read it as followers of you and our hearts melt. We feel this weight to know we've been doing things that very clearly are told in Second Samuel displease you. We're doing things that you were displeased with. May we repent of those sins. May we not try to cover them up or or have right action to move them to the side. May we repent of those sins. May you cleanse that gaping hole in our leg deep. May you sew it up right. May we move forward correctly. God, help us. And from that place, God, we want to give all of our life. You are our Lord, and there are things that we want to do that we should not, could not, and will not because we follow you. There are are opinions that we have that need to be conformed to your image. There are things about us that are sinful. God, please, you declare us saints. May we learn to walk positionally like that. Help us, help us. Jesus, we're grateful. We're so grateful for your blood, we're grateful that this psalm sums up the gospel. That Jesus, you've accepted us, not based on our own merit, but based on what you have done. And because of that, man, we want to we please you with our life. We are overwhelmed with worship. We are overwhelmed with gratitude. According to your grace, according to your mercy, according to your love. We love you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.